Welcome to the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. And now your host of the show, Dr. Jennifer K. Thompson. Thanks for joining us. Today I'm going to talk with Liz Joyner, who is the founder and president of an organization called The Village Square in Tallahassee, Florida. Liz's name may be somewhat familiar to you if you're a regular listener because we have had her on on the podcast in the past, although not for an entire episode like this one. Liz, as you will hear, is someone who has spent a long time thinking about how to get people who disagree to talk to one another. We will link in the show notes to the Village Square's website, and I hope you will take a moment to check it out because you will see on the website the Village Square's commitment to their understanding of the founders' vision for the United States. And in large part, they believe that that vision requires all of us to bring our best ideas to the table, to disagree about them, and to figure out how to go forward. And all the way back in 2006, Liz was thinking about this and thinking about how best to affect it in her community. She's a real inspiration to me. She's one of my very favorite people to talk to. And I think you will hear in this conversation why that's the case. She brings all kinds of creativity and common sense to the matter of getting people in her community to talk to one another despite disagreement and figure out how to solve problems. Liz, in addition to being the president and founder of the Village Square, has a master's degree in social work. She has been nominated as a leader of the year in Tallahassee. She was named one of the 25 women you need to know in Tallahassee. And the Girl Scouts have identified her as a woman of distinction. She's a Knight Foundation fellow, and she has a variety of different honors to her name. And I think our conversation will certainly demonstrate why she really stands out. It's important to note that this uh, conversation was recorded live at a conference, And it was a conference for people who work in policy um, within the 50 states all across the country. They came together for this conference. That should not affect the quality of the audio, hopefully, but uh, you may hear some noise and that's the live audience. This was our first taping in front of a live audience in person. And I hope that you enjoy the conversation. Joiner, my guest today, is someone who knows an awful lot about going to places where people disagree. She is the president and founder of the Village Square, and if you are not familiar with the Village Square, don't worry, she's going to talk about it. But I hope you'll also look it up, take a minute to Google it, and check out more information about it, because as you're going to hear, Liz has a great sense of humor, um, but also matches that sense of humor with some really important ideas about the way we can build bridges at the local level in our communities and the impact of doing that. Uh, Liz, in the description of the Village Square, which she started in Tallahassee, as I said, in 2006, uh, describes the Village Square as a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. So help me welcome Liz, please. Thank you. It's 
fun to be with you today. Thank you very much. Um, as, as we've talked before, you know, we could talk for three or four hours. We want to make sure we let people have an opportunity to ask you questions. They don't mind, do they? Three or four if hours? we talk for three or four hours, no, you, you guys just go do. drinks, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, we, first, I want to start with the beginnings of the Village Square. So as you know, uh, we are both members of the Bridge Alliance, which mm -hmm. is uh, a network of organizations probably, there's probably close to 200 organizations yeah, now. it's gotten big who are working on bridging ideological divides and a number of other things. And there, in the last probably five to six years, there's been kind of a proliferation of organizations that do this, but you're like the OG bridge builder, <laughs> right? You started doing this in 2005, or 2006. 2006. So tell us a little bit about how you got started, why you did it, and kind of what that looked like at the beginning. Well, so it's interesting because in some ways it just came to our hometown. It was completely obvious what needed to be done. Uh, we had a very controversial local issue on whether to build, to build a coal plant. And it sort of became, now that looking back on it all those years ago, it was kind of the tip of the iceberg of what we're seeing in terms of kind of the new and less functional way of relating to each other, you know, on, on matters post-digital world, post-social media, et cetera. Um, and it went to a referendum and there was like all sorts of really bad, um, you know, it, basically the way that you could discuss the matter would be to go speak with th to, to the commissions for three minutes, mm. to write an op-ed. And, you know, sort of through that whole thing, it kept seeming like, well, there's something missing. Where are we talking to each other about it? And at the same time, I happened to be... Um, first and only time I've run a political campaign for anyone, um, for a local city commissioner, and got to hang out with him and his friends, and they were having this great conversation about the coal plant, completely different than the really uninformative one that was happening at a public level. And they were good friends who completely disagreed, did not agree at all on whether this coal plant should be built. Um, and their conversations were really pretty great. They were, you know, Oh my gosh, you you're doing your commie thing again. What are you going to when are you going to realize that you need to do blah blah blah? No, this is what and it was it was disagreement informed by a deep friendship hmm. and respect. And it was sort of a small group of people who um, who had been having this conversation really for many years. And it was almost the juxtaposition of the two things next to each other that you kind of went no, that's what it's supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like the really deep disagreement informed by friendship. And so that was when, you know, we started saying, huh, what if this were bigger? And then we decided to make it bigger. And um, I remember we, we got like 75 people together for what we call them the founders. Mm -hmm. and we kind of hung out with them first a little bit. How'd you get um, them together? Um, it was it was actually kind of a, a a very technical term that we use to this day. Um, my immediate past chair is here in the room, Bill Maddox, and he's very familiar with this very technical term, crisscrossy. Um, is that we would ask you know liberals in that core group of people to think of who they know who disagrees with them politically, who they have a relationship with, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that actually, you and I have talked about this, I'd say that's a model that we kind of stumbled on and then eventually we just kept using it, that, that I'm calling it the core catalyst model, but one day I'm gonna think of a really great name for it. I like core catalyst. And, <laughs> and uh, so once you have that sort of core group of people who has relationships despite disagreements, um, you start small and then you go one ring out, kind of like rings of a tree. 
um, another ring out, another ring. You'd be amazed with how, with a core group of people with that kind of relationship, how big you can go in growing a huge, I mean, now we've, we have, you know, a thousand people in an event. Um, and if we have that core, um, we can do it. And anyway, I, I remember all those years ago, the first event that we had, 150 people in the room. So it was our first sort of public launch. And I remember thinking to myself, I remember the sick feeling in my stomach of what in the world did I just do? What was, I'm being crazy, this is gonna go terrible. Yeah, like gonna it's be, gonna go sideways really quick. That's right, we're gonna be on the, uh, above the fold in the newspaper tomorrow morning. But it was nothing like that. And it's weird, we've sort of, in some ways we've kind of learned backwards, right? It's, it's sort of like we said, oh, what, how did this work? Why did this work? And it's because of the relationships, yeah. it's because of the core catalyst model, but we didn't know any of that at first. But that trust, that piece of it, I think we've talked a lot about before, mm -hmm. is that it's, it's so important to have trust before you try and build out. It, it really is. You can't there, start at the top level and say, hey, let's get together and talk about the coal plant or whatever. Yeah, there, there really is no substitute for doing the relationship work. And that sounds squishy, but it's not. No, no. It's a foundation for everything, kind of. So I can imagine, I mean, I know maybe people weren't talking about, you know, toxic polarization in 2006 the way they are today, but I can imagine someone in the audience listening and hearing this and saying, that sounds like a great idea. However, I'm really nervous about approaching someone else, even if I have trust with them already. Mm -hmm. And actually, we've heard that over and over from people who say, there are things in my community going on that I really want to work with other people on, but I am afraid that I am going to uh, we're going to get into a fight about something, it's going to destroy our relationship, and, and that relationship, whether it's professional or social, is too important for me to actually bring some of these things up. Like, what yeah. are, you know, the brass tacks sort of getting down to making those asks, which I can imagine are kind of scary for people. Yeah, it's interesting because I think some of what works is that if you, if you start with sort of the foundation, like every, every program we have, um, it's more often sort of a panel model, and so the panel is sort of the, the glue that holds the event together. And, um, and we think of it in some ways almost more like a choreography than, like normally you sort of think, okay, we've got a pro and we've got a con. We don't think of it that way at all. Um, we think of, okay, who's the first person that would be a really great contributor to this conversation? Now let's think of someone that either that person knows well and hangs out with and they get along but they disagree, or someone that we think that they could kind of get along and then we'll kind of, we'll kind of move the, converse, the relationship along, right? So we almost never have a program where we haven't gotten the people who are the core part of it on our panel together in some sort of way. Um, and you know, very often, like um, years ago we did a program on immigration and this was when Senator Rubio was involved in making recommendations for immigration reform, and it was when town halls were really going cattywampus, and it was people really were fighting with each people other. were fighting, and there was there was violence, and it was really angry. And um, our panel on immigration, and actually that was one of the first times we had ever, and maybe even since, thought that maybe we needed to consider whether we wanted to have you know like a plainclothes police officer and stuff. We didn't. We were cool, and the reason we were cool is because of the way we built the panel. So the, our, a liberal rabbi um, a one, who was on our board wanted to be the facilitator for this, so we started with him. He's like number one, again, core catalyst. Um, hmm, how do we, who is the other person who completely disagrees with our liberal rabbi on um, 
on immigration. And we came up with, we invited Marco Rubio's general counsel, and the reason we did was because he was in the fantasy baseball league with the rabbi. <laughs> and, um, and we knew we were like sitting pretty after that. After that, we knew we were gonna have a whole room full of people who could have all sorts of opinions on immigration. And I mean, if you've ever hung out with people who do fantasy baseball, you know that that is not a bond that's going to break unless it's <laughs> some sort of baseball trade kind of thing, so. <laughs> that's awesome. So I think, um, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about how you started this. I, I'm wondering, as you go along, you get a reputation, I assume, for the kinds of programs that you're doing, having people being able to point back to that and say, this was great, I, I, you're gonna have a good time. Because I mean, you need somebody to advertise that for you, right? Yes, yes. So in the programs that you're having, in the events that you were doing, especially early on, but, but even today, um, what are the things that people take away from it that make them, you know, make them the best advocates for your programming, the best advertisement to get more people to come? Like, what do they say to you about, here's what I got out of this discussion? Yeah, so, so I think more often, I mean, really our model is, is we want something to happen in terms of how you feel uh, as, as a human towards people on the other side. So we spend tons of time talking about policy and issues, but we're not really, we're Switzerland on that. We're not really concerned with whether that gets resolved in, in that meeting or everything. What we want to see and what we think is the best advertisement for us is if somebody walks out and kind of goes, huh, I kind of like that person who disagrees with me. I still mostly disagree with them, but you know, that point and that point and that point. And, and it, you know, if you have that kind of um, softened relationship where the, where the boundaries, the groups, the tribes are not so, um, so uniformly defined, um, uh, it, it changes everything and it changes it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's what we, you know, I mean, a lot of times we'll, we'll have programs that, I mean, we want people to look at our programs and go, what are you doing? <laughs> You're putting those two people together? So what's um, an example of that? <laughs> um, so, so actually my, I mentioned Bill. Bill, Bill probably needs to halfway get up here um, with us. You don't mind, do you, Bill? <laughs> um, but we did a program, I think of this program every time somebody asks me a question like this. Um, it was created equal and breathing free, the competing founding ideals of freedom and equality. And we, um, we thought really hard about who we were gonna invite, and we invited one of our favorite conservative-ish Catholic priests, and then we invited a very liberal um, woman who runs a, a really cool uh, theater in town. And nothing in common with <laughs> these two folks. And I really did have a lot of people who came up to me and said, I came because I wanted to see this. Because they thought it was going to be a disaster. It, right, right. Of course, we know it wasn't going right. to be because we, we knew the people. Yeah. We did the work. Um, we met ahead of time. I, I won't ever um, forget uh, Terry, the theater director, saying, oh, we have a ton in common. We both wear black all the time. <laughs> Um, and, it, and we've got this great, actually they're on our, I didn't mean, I mean to promote this one, but they're on our most recent issue of our podcast if people want to listen to the program. We've got this great picture of Father Tim holding his, uh, with the two of them together, holding his little bunny ears up. And they had never met. Um, but I think people walked away from that kind of going, yes, uh, you know, that's what, and it doesn't even matter that much um, who you agreed with m most. I, you know, we had a lot of people walk out and going, you know, 
I really thought that liberals walking out and saying Father Tim made a lot of really good points. And that's what we don't, we're not doing any of that anymore. No wonder we have the problems yeah. we have. Yeah. We are not finding ourselves in spaces with people who disagree with us, but are still good, well-intentioned humans. And um, the, the demonization and the dehumanization we're doing um, is, is an absolute stop from solving any policy Absolutely. issues. Absolutely. You, I mean, because then it becomes this, you know, national, you know, do or die fight and you don't see people on the other side of it. Yeah. And if you're only talking mm -hmm. to people who agree with you, it's unlikely you're going to progress the, we talked about Jonathan Rausch. We were talking about right. Jonathan Rausch's thinking in Kindly Inquisitors in his new book, the idea that, you know, we need to have that back and forth to have a good country. We need that back and forth to have progress in what we're doing. You, yes. you mentioned something there when you were talking about the way you set it up. So I think for a lot of people, they think there has to be this objective at the end, right? Either I'm gonna accomplish this policy thing, mm -hmm. or I'm going to convince people of my point of view, uh, or I'm gonna come away with this from an, we're gonna have an objective that we come away from this with a group of talking points or whatever. When you talk about the Village Square, you talk very intentionally about being conveners uh, but not about being people who are going out and converting, but convening and letting things kind of naturally progress from there. Do you get pushback on that from people who say, no, 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 you, that's not change. What you really need is to pass this law or you need to do. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, we kind of learned early on that we couldn't keep walking issues along because then it became a different dynamic, right? Then, then we really had, there was a chance that we really would lose the faith of one side or the other uh, if we kept walking things along. So part of it was just, you know, self-preservation. Um, but, but really, I also think that I think that we're kind of interacting with this civilization-wide problem in, a, in, a, in the wrong way. We're, we're missing something that's really important. So much of what's happened with our digital existence is that, you know, civil society, the, the little platoons, the, the, you know, the, the civic organizations that were across the aisle, you know, the uh, classically Robert Putnam's bowling alone, right? The bowling leagues. It had nothing to do with ideology. Um, those have disappeared in our civic life, and they were the underpinning for what you can sit on top of that, which is to decide what the policy is. And if that is gone, the, the, as we're finding out in a really uncomfortable way, the policy decisions don't sit very well. <laughs> um, they don't get made very well because we have a more fundamental problem. Our biggest problem isn't that we're not doing policy the right way. The biggest problem is that our relationship with each other is just broken. And it's not, it's, it's a relationship that is deeply foundational to American democracy and to freedom. And I don't think that people really connect that very often. Um, it's, you know, I mean, we kicked our king to the curb. Well, now we've got a job to do. And like the framers, the framers created a system where we would have to butt up against each other all the time, where we'd have to, um, you know, interact with each other in a way that did naturally help us see blind spots that humans have, all humans have them. Um, and we've, we've both forgotten sort of their lesson and the idea, and then frankly also what our job is. Our yeah. job is to do that. If we wanna stay free, we gotta hang out with each other. There is no choice. And this is, this is something we've talked about, but also that I've heard from a lot of people in kind of bridging organizations. 
calls for unity, calls for we need to be, we need to have a lot of common ground, we need to be on the same page. That's not what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's not let's just figure out a way that we can all agree on such and such point. It's actually very different than that. It's we need that disagreement. We need to have that back and forth because if we don't have it, if we're all on the same page, really bad things can happen. Really right? bad things, yeah, do happen, no matter which page you're on, right? And you, and you kind of see that sort of on both extremes. And I mean, some of that too is sort of the, the nature of what like-minded groups are. They grow more extreme in the direction of the majority view um, to the point of denying fractual reality. And if you don't see that on your side of the aisle now, I'm, I'm pretty sure you see it on the other side of the aisle, right? Is that we, we can see it more easily, right, in others. Um, is that, so, so if you've got a like-minded group, that means there are things you're missing. Because we humans, you know, reason, uh, Dr. Jonathan Haidt, who we um, are big fans of and yep. who has, um, who um, we've been happy, uh, lucky enough to work with for a number of years, he likens human reasoning to like, one human is like one neuron. And reasoning is a team sport. And we have to connect all the neurons together to be able to reason well. And, and by definition, those neurons have to come at it from different perspectives. So, you know, if you're in, you know, if you're in a conservative group trying to affect um, um, policy change at a local or state level, well, you need to be talking to people who disagree with your policy, disagree with you generally, um, to be able to understand, okay, how do we make our coalition bigger? What are we missing? Sort of the queen's loyal opposition thing. And then you flip it to the other side of the aisle. You've got, um, you know, you've got humanities, uh, you know, fields in on campus um, that are just absolutely filled. They have no conservatives in them. And so there's a lot of talk now about the fact that you're that you know social science is really just the less for it because we're not we're not having that opportunity to see into blind spots and to correct flawed reasoning that's all going in one direction. Yeah, and, and if you, to the, to the extent that you're comfortable talking about this, can you talk about how this work has affected your own sort of ideologies? And because I think sometimes when people hear about this, they think, well, that sounds nice in you know theory, but in practice, it sounds like what you're asking me to do is set aside my beliefs so that we can get to some point where they're, like you say, kind of wishy-washy. Mm -hmm. um, have you found that in you know, 15 years of doing this that you've totally abandoned your beliefs? I mean, what, what has it done for you as you think about your own commitments? So I think that's a great question because it's something that I want to convince other people is it just like a wonderful thing. Um, and, and, and so no, my politics are pretty much similar to when I entered. Um, into this, my, um, my sort of guiding principles are pretty similar. Uh, my politics are kind of center left, um, but I see things in so much more relief in, in the most profound ways. Um, I understand what, what people who disagree with me are talking about. I get their point. Their point enriches the way that I see it. I, I, I can't even sit in a room full of people and I used to, right? Because I, I used to, you know, do a little political stuff. And I, 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 like maybe five or six years in, I got invited to something, and I kind of thought, okay, I'm going to go. And I couldn't even be in the room because the reasoning is so flat. And so, I mean, we're talking about solving really challenging problems in the world, and you just go, yeah, no, that's not going to work because da 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 da. So it, it had too, they, it, it's too narrow a view. My view is like in technicolor now. 
And, and actually, the other thing is there are a few things that I completely, like 18,000% agree with conservatives on that I maybe wouldn't have known it before, mm -hmm. or maybe my view has evolved a little bit. And you, some of my closest friends um, uh, are, are people who are politically really different than me. And I would not trade it for the world. It's, it's so much more wonderful um, than back when I was in the echo chamber. Yeah. So I want to talk specifically about, say, the last 18 months or so, and, and we've occasionally had an opportunity to discuss this, but it seems like now there are so many things. So they may not even be kind of national level things, but they might be things in our community. But we were talking about this the other day. I mean, even walking around in the hotel, um, you know, whether people wear masks or don't wear masks is such a... a you know, a, a thing that people feel so strongly about. Yeah. Um, you know, vaccines, this is one area where I think we, you know, I think we can say, well, we wanna be open-minded and tolerant and talk about these things and give people um, the space to make up their own decisions. That's, that's really easy to do when you don't care that much about something, but when it's something that feels super, super important to you right this second, yeah. is a time when it's hardest to, I think, put into practice some of the things you've talked about, like intellectual humility, kind of stepping back, listening carefully. Um, have you seen over the last 18 months really, has it gotten harder for you to do the work that you're doing? Or have you seen successes in places that you're really, really excited about? Um, harder. Yeah. Uh, you, can, you can almost feel it by the minute, just because, um, I mean, the, the, we were talking the other day about um, about language. Actually, we, we hosted Amanda Ripley, who wrote the book High Conflict, Why We Get Trapped and How We Get Out, which I highly recommend you reading. And we were talking about language. And the, the, you, there are words these days that you can't even use. And it's almost through, like through the pandemic, the words have, uh, you know, I can, I can use 10 words um, selling my programs, right? It used to be 100 or 1,000. And it's just, you can feel the electromagnetic pull of the true to the us and the them just so much stronger than you used to. And, and you can see sort of people kind of going, yeah, no, I don't think I'm really interested. Mm -hmm. So in, in that way, it's really, it's really tragic. Um, but it's also, I mean, this was never easy, right? No, <laughs> so, right. So, so it's just also incredibly clear. This is, We've, we've got to do this. There is no choice. I, I'm, I've taken to calling it mandatory and impossible, and I think both things are true. We don't have any choice. Th this is going to get worse if we don't start you know, coming back around to you know, what I do think that we largely believe on, some of the real framing principles of, of, um, of you know, American democracy. And, and, uh, and, and I, I think that there's broad agreement on those things. And I think if we don't um, decide that we're going to come back around to sort of being our higher selves, this is going to get worse and worse. Um, and of course, we have you know, the title of this program about how this happens at the local level. We don't see, it, it, it just can't, it, it can't happen the same way at a national level. Um, and so we really believe in just the power of connecting in communities. Um, with neighbors and, and how it changes everything. I've got this, I think I told you this before, in our strategic plan, we've got this 1942 Mutt and Jeff cartoon um, that has somebody on his hands and knees 
looking for a quarter and a police officer comes along and says, you know, where'd you find lose the quarter? And he said, two blocks that way. Why are you looking here? Because the light is better. And, and, I, and I think that that is something that is really easy to accidentally do right now, right? Because we see this train wreck in our national civic discourse and we're looking at it and we're going, oh my God, what do we do? Um, and we want to fix it um, where it's broken, but we also, I think, kind of want to fix it where you can't fix it. Mm -hmm. Because what's missing again is that connectedness between people. It doesn't have to even be, it's not like you have to have everyone in the community deeply civically connected, but, but with that core of connection across differences, changes everything actually really fast. Mm. So we've talked about convening and the importance of trust between people and starting small and building out. We've talked about the importance of being willing to listen uh, and to kind of, you know, take a beat and kind of not react immediately to everything, even when something seems urgent. We've talked about the importance of kind of having a long view towards these things. But I know for a lot of people, and like we just talked about right here, I know for a lot of people, the long view isn't good enough, right? So do you have examples from the work you've done at uh, the Village Square where even if it wasn't what you were intending, right, you're, you're the convener, it had a significant impact on policy or activities in your community? Um, so one of our favorite examples um, to give is the example of same rabbi, interestingly, um, uh, we have a program called God Squad, um, um, and, and it's a variety. It's pastors who are very politically diverse, and we talk about everything. And the rabbi was talking one day about how um, the school system really didn't observe um, Jewish holidays well. Um, and that was, you know, the end of that public conversation. But because we, uh, our audience for God Squad is absolutely filled with people of, you know, incredible diversity politically, um, unbeknownst to us, a conservative Baptist um, deacon went to the school system and um, somewhere high up, I'm not even sure where it was, with the superintendent, um, but, uh, and, and got them to change their policy on Jewish holidays. And one of the reasons I really like that example is because of the fact that that's, that's the kind of thing that happens in civil society all the time if it's functional, right, um, is, you know, you hear that, yeah, that's like, we should think about that. I think I can do something about it. I'm going to go do it. And that's what's not happening with our broken relationships. Um, so I think that that's, you know, I would liken what we do to sort of always tilling the civic soil. Hmm. Um, and so that's what happens when you're doing that. We, you know, lots of sort of just fun ex examples of things like we've got um, a, a, uh, a, a sort of a, um, a, a gadfly in town who basically comes to all the commission meetings and spends his three minutes yelling. And we had one program where one of the commissioners and that gadfly walked out together and they said, Liz, we wanted to find you to tell you that we actually have a lunch date set. And of course, I went, whoa. Um, and because we don't really because we don't keep walking along, I can't really say that this policy or that policy change, but that's what happens all the time in what we do, that, that we're, it's so much easier to walk through the relationship door mm. than it is the policy door. 
And so, and so if, you, if, you want, if you want to affect improvements and change in policy, then you gotta think of the relationship angle. And you know, if you're, I mean, we went to the, an excellent program earlier this afternoon of, um, um, of unity through federalism. Right. So to me, I would say I, I'd be just yes, yes, yes to all of that. And then just add in the notion that, that, you know, that federalism requires relationships that grow in the soil of your community. And instead of just having, you know, a conversation about this and that, you know, reach out to people who in your community who don't agree. Start talking about, you know, um, start talking about, you know, how you can learn from each other. Grow that relationship and, and you'd be surprised at what happens if you can grow it at scale. You have this summer uh, a summer swim program. It's not the first time. I think you've mm -hmm. done it in the past, but I would love if you would talk about that because I think this is such a neat idea and it's the kind of thing that people could try to replicate and your resources are online as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what's the thinking behind that? What does it look like and, and how's that working out? Yeah, um, so we, um, so I don't know, for maybe five or six summers now, what we do, um, we, one of the things we realize about our programming is that if we don't go away, people don't miss us. So we do, we do a, like a school year program and we make a really big deal every year of us coming back. Hey, we're back. We're about to start our 15th season. And um, so during the summer, we ask people to, to sort of swim against tribe. Um, and, uh, and we give them resources of good things to read if you're conservative and want to understand liberals better and liberal if you understand conservatives better. Um, and, um, and, and, uh, and this summer is when we did uh, Amanda's book, um, High Conflict, is our, our first ever summer read. Um, and that is something, you know, we've piggybacked off resources that um, that um, are available through Heterodox Academy that have some really good sort of reading things for understanding. Um, and, um, and, you know, it, and you can, just, you can just go online and use it anytime you want. It doesn't have to be summer. Yeah, so you don't have to be in Tallahassee. Either. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we try to have a little bit of fun with it. You know, yeah. Put on your floaties. Jump, yeah. Don't jump right out into the deep end. But, you know, so and we kind of do that with everything because, I mean, part of the problem with civic connectedness right now is that your competition is, you know, a, a, an angry smackdown that feels like electronic M&M's, so you've got to make it interesting. And so we try really hard to make what we do interesting, try to make it kind of fun, try to keep a sense of humor about what we're doing. That's been a little harder lately just because it doesn't really seem like it's fitting, right now. <laughs> yeah. it's fitting with the general tone. Yeah. <laughs> What about if somebody is in a community and they don't actually have these close connections mm -hmm. to people who disagree with them? Do you have a tip for where people should be looking to find potential disagreeers, unlike-minded people? Yeah, so, I mean, again, because of our bias about uh, local connectedness, I, I think look in your community, look in your, look just in your relationships, you know, go, go like one tick outside of your normal people that you hang out with and invite them to lunch. Um, you know, we all know people who disagree with us. Just kind of spend some time together. And instead of um, talking about politics, talk about something else, at least to begin with. Um, there's, a, there's something that, um, that academics study uh, called fast friends exercise, and where they'll put two people together and they'll, you know, they'll sort of study how their relationship evolves and how their um, attitude towards each other as humans evolve. And in terms of politics in specific, and they specifically don't have you start 
with, um, politics. with politics. And that's because you can then see the, I mean, we humans are, are vast and we have all sorts of different aspects of our identity, right? And somehow we've gotten to this point where we're seeing these two, but you know, we've, I mean, here we're in Florida, we have FSU fans and Gator fans, and, um, and those are some serious identifications. And you know, there are all sorts of ways that we can find something about someone else that we connect to. And you know, those are called cross-cutting relationships and we just need more of them. So, so we think that it has a lot more impact if you can do that in your community and have, you know, invite a few other people to do it. And I mean, we build these huge rooms full of people by basically having like maybe 15 table hosts for this big program that we do once a year. And we ask each of them to construct a table and invite people to fill their table um, that, that specifically have dis disagreements and ideally on that issue. And so what we find is that when you do that for just like, you know, 15 tables in a room that holds five or 600 people, you get a room that has five or 600 people who are diverse because you've tapped all the different networks. It is always great to talk to Liz. I always feel like I learned something and I always feel like I leave my conversations with her with some inspiration and enthusiasm to go apply what I've learned to the work that I do and the relationships I have with other people. I hope you enjoyed that. We will link in the show notes to the Village Square and the work that they're doing. And because some of the work that they're doing is now virtual, you can participate in it, whether you're in Tallahassee, Florida, or whether you are on the other side of the country. And I hope you will check that out. So again, there's so much to learn from Liz, but when I think back on the conversation uh, that we had, I think one thing that is really worth highlighting and for me will be something that I continue to think about in the coming days and weeks and months is that you know we often think about conflict as something that we have to get rid of. We think about disagreement as this very negative thing that we just need to make go away and we need to find a way to get along. I think the point that Liz made about the importance of relationships and the way that our country and our democracy rest upon those relationships is an important one because as she noted, that system is designed to be able to withstand conflict. Not only that, it, it's designed to be improved by conflict, conflict of the right kind, disagreement that is productive. We need to bring our best to this project, to this project of the American Republic. And we cannot do that if we consistently just sit around with people with whom we agree and tell each other that we're right. We are inevitably going to come into contact with ideas and with people with whom we disagree. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's supposed to help us get better. But we have to do that the right way. So we have to spend time with people that we disagree with. We have to talk to those people. And if we don't do that, the whole system doesn't work. I think that's a real challenge, but I think it's a challenge worth undertaking. And I think if we care about our, our personal relationships, our communities, our state, our government, our federal government, our federal you know, lawmakers, we need to 
be able to accept that challenge and do our best to help one another bring better ideas and improve our ideas. So I'll be thinking about that. I hope you'll be thinking about it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did, I really wish that you would take a moment to rate and review the podcast so that other people will learn about it and so they can join the conversation too. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. We'll see you next time for another conversation.